The Lord be with you. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus dismissed the crowds and went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He said in reply, He who sows good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed, the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters are angels. Just as weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all who cause others to sin and all evildoers. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears ought to hear. The Gospel of the Lord. As we've been following through these parables in the Gospel of Matthew this last week plus, and we've had this repeated example of seed being sown. Sometimes the seed is the heart, sometimes the seed is the word, and here we see that there are good seeds and bad seeds now. But one of the things we've also run into as we've listened to the teaching of Jesus is that there's a certain level at which it is non-transparent. Notice here, the disciples come to Jesus and say, explain to us what you've said. All too often, we Christians, while on the one hand rightly saying the meaning of the scripture should be basically accessible, to any faith-filled heart that attempts to read it, miss the fact that not all of Scripture is easily understood, and that even what seems to be a transparently clear passage has a deeper or fuller sense of meaning which often we do not discover on our own. And if we do happen to run into that, we end up seeking for information in the wrong sources. We ask our friends, we ask our neighbors, we sit down and we make things up as we read the passage. And while there can be a certain value to that, there's also a real element of shared ignorance. So note what we see here. The Lord sends the crowd away because the understanding of his word doesn't come from what the people say. It doesn't come from the crowd. It doesn't come from the many opinions that are abroad in the world. What does the Lord do? He sends the crowd away and he goes into the house, the church. 
And it is the disciples who follow the Lord into the home where he dwells, into the church. In that context, they say to the Lord, explain to us the meaning of the parable. Because again, the fullness of the understanding of revelation is not the private possession of any individual. It is the treasury of the church. And as free as we are in terms of personally thinking about, considering, and engaging the meaning of scripture, there are normative interpretations as well. And those are provided by the church. Not self-proclaimed prophets, not someone with a lot of letters behind his name beginning with PhD, but by the church founded by Jesus. And Jesus explains the fullness of his teaching in the context of our participation in the life of the church. What we do here then at Mass as we gather is not simply a matter, as if this could ever be a simple thing, of coming here because this is where we receive Holy Communion. It is the participation in the life of the church that also opens our minds and our hearts to a fuller understanding of the teaching that the Lord gives us. This is why when we celebrate our sacraments, the gospel is proclaimed. Because the gospel illuminates the sacrament, but the sacrament also illuminates the gospel. Note how beautiful that is. And that it is this context this is the privilege context where the Lord teaches his people. Not YouTube videos, not all the books that line the shelves of book Christian bookstores. And it's not that these things are bad. But when one wants to engage the fullness of truth, one also has to participate in the life of the church that Jesus founded. And that is an absolute necessity, or our understanding will always necessarily be lacking. He went into the house, and the disciples went in with him. Not some other house, and not their own house, but the house where Jesus is. And on entering, they said to him, Lord, explain that to us. Help us understand. And the Lord gives them what we would think today perhaps is a ridiculously simple explanation. It's like, how could you guys not figure that out on your own? But let's remember that we've had the benefit of hearing that explanation for 2,000 years. They heard that parable for the first time. It was not so transparent at that moment. And note that they wanted to make sure they understood truly they weren't content with whatever answer they cooked up on their own. Lord, you teach me the meaning of what you said. Note how important that disposition is, that Christ is the one who opens scripture to us. And he does it after he sends the world away and enters his house. And so those who step away from the busyness of the world into the house of the Lord 
are those well positioned to say, Lord, explain to us the meaning of what it is you are teaching us. And as the Lord unpacks this parable for his disciples, there are a couple important nuances in his explanation that are worth noting. First, he says, there is one garden, that is the world. And there are two kinds of seeds, and these seeds are people. There are two kinds of heart, two kinds of life. This kind of falls in the face of our modern preoccupation with diversity. There are many kinds of life. And note here, Jesus is saying, no, there are two. There are exactly two. There are those whose hearts are sown by God and those whose hearts aren't. And what that means about you and about me is that our hearts have a momentum to them which doesn't come just from us. If God is sowing a seed, who is making the seed move? God is. The seed doesn't move itself. And if Satan is sowing the seed, who is moving the seed? Why, that would be the demon. How interesting that idea that our lives have a certain momentum that has been given to them. Our lives have been put forward and they're going to land somewhere. And they're going to land in the self-same world. There's one world with two kinds of seed in it. The seed that God has planted and the seed that the enemy has planted. And both seeds will bloom where they're planted. So blooming where you're planted is not necessarily a value. That happens. That comes with being planted. But one of the seeds won't bloom well. It will bloom uselessly. It will bloom destructively. It will be a weed. Because the movement by which it has rooted itself has been from the hand of the enemy, from the hand of greed, the hand of ambition, the hand of deceit, the hand of gain, the hand of lust. You know, and that should give us pause because if we stop and just consider our motivations on any given day, a handful of these negative momentums is likely going to be there and we can surrender to them all too easily. And then there's this other one, the, the seed sown by grace, the seed sown by the movement that Christ has given it. That seed put out into the world to bear fruit. As I am rooted in my life, who has planted me? Because it's not just me putting myself somewhere. The dispositions in my heart, they've come from someplace. I choose to cooperate, but they come from someplace. And so the Lord is saying, 
In the world, there are those hearts that sin has planted. There are those hearts that indifference has planted. And there are those hearts that the gospel has planted. And they're going to grow up together in the same world, the good and the bad. And then there will come a moment, but the moment is not right now. But there will come a moment when they will be separated. The separation doesn't happen now. The separation doesn't happen in time. The separation happens when time itself comes to an end. And on the one hand, we can be tempted to say, well, so much for fighting for what is good if evil doesn't go away. On the one hand, we might be tempted to say, well, good, then I'm in no real danger and I can just stay where I am. Except however long time goes on, be it for another week or another six billion years, however long time goes on, it is but a blink in the eye of eternity, which does not ever end. And so as the Lord speaks this way, he's saying that these plants that are growing in this world are growing in the direction of two different ways of spending eternity. And that should sober us up. Because however important this life that we have now is, its importance is found in how it gets us to eternity. And that doesn't end, and that doesn't change. And so the Lord says, at the very end, those plants that are unambiguously weeds, they have been fruitless, they have been destructive, they have been planted by sin, grown in sin, and produced the fruit of sin, in the end, the Lord who is immeasurably merciful in his patience will exercise judgment. And those leaves will be gathered and taken. Know what he says. Elsewhere, Jesus speaks about gathering people into his kingdom. This gospel is remarkable. This explanation of Jesus is remarkable for him speaking about gathering out of his kingdom. Because the kingdom of God that we look for, while it is on the one hand here now, when it arrives in its fullness, there will be zero room for evil. Zero room for deceit. Zero room for wickedness, and all of that will be gathered up and burned away. That's a sobering and chilling statement. But, and it is also a reminder that however we experience the patience of the Lord now, that patience of God is for the opportunity of our hearts to change and to grow rightly. But if we keep rejecting that opportunity, there will come a moment where the opportunity is no longer there.
And God who sees all and knows all will be the one who makes that decision, not fallible man. And then the Lord says something remarkable. It is as the evil is gathered, including the hearts of those that are given over to wickedness. So that we're clear, the church has never changed its teaching with regard to hell. It does exist, and we can go there. But know what he says. As the evil is gathered and cast out of the world, then the wheat, the wheat those hearts sown by the gospel, growing in the gospel. He says, as the evil is removed, those lives will gleam like stars. Their goodness will become apparent. What a remarkable statement that is. It's not just the getting rid of the wicked. It is allowing real goodness to be made perfect and manifest itself. What a remarkable idea that is. That the goodness that has been hidden, really and truly with us all the time, but it's so difficult for us to perceive, will stand forth in a way that it can't be ignored, it can't be missed. Gloriously luminous and beautiful. A harvest of goodness, a harvest of light. Out of our hearts for the kingdom. What a beautiful vision that is. We who struggle to be faithful in this world and wonder sometimes, why does it matter? Does anybody see? What good does it do? Note what Jesus is saying here. Oh, there will be a day when every bit of that hidden goodness will burn brightly for all to see will burn brightly for all eternity with a glorious light. Oh, the good we do and are so frustrated in now that exhausts us so much, in a world whose wickedness is so apparent that it seems to cover over everything that's right. And Jesus says, oh, that's not the case. And the little good that is lived and done here will burn brightly for eternity. Gloriously beautiful, not just in the eyes of God, but in the eyes of all. And all will rejoice in it, and all will share that. What a powerful teaching this is that the Lord gives us. Sobering on the one hand, and yet greatly consoling on the other. And note the beautiful reminder of the value and the importance of the time that we have for our living. Because what we do with our time and what we do with our lives today and tomorrow and for as ever many tomorrows as remain, what we do with them redounds to eternity. These little gestures of goodness that seem so small have an eternal weight about them. If they help to serve us, allow the gospel to plant our lives in the grace of Jesus Christ. And this is why it is so important to root ourselves in his church. This is why it is so important to root ourselves in the rich soil of all that he has given us. 
And this is why, in no small measure, we reflect on this at the feet of her that sinless seed sown in this sin-fallen world who has borne for us the fruit of the Savior. What a fruitful heart. What a fruitful life. At the feet of her who is that great meeting tent between God and man that the meeting tent of Moses in the first reading only points to. Because this living tent, Our Lady, is that one where God more perfectly dwells among us than he ever did in the desert with Moses. And here, God and man speak together face to face, not because God engages Moses, but because Jesus Christ is God and man. And in that great meeting tent of Mary, where the word becomes flesh, God and man truly speak face to face in a way that even Adam never had in the Garden of Eden. How absolutely remarkable is that? And this is why devotion to Mary is so powerful. Because the more we turn to her, the more we open our hearts to her in confident trust like Jesus himself has done the more the power of Christ and his gospel plant us in that rich soil of her virtues where we can grow strong and be fruitful and truly savor the good of what is going to happen here in just a few minutes. Because unlike in the desert in Sinai, when the people stood at their doors to the tent, to their own tents, and watched Moses go into the meeting tent to meet with God? Here, in this tent, at the feet of Our Lady, in this tent of the church, we're already inside. And God will come to this altar, and we will speak face to face. How beautiful is that? Not in a way that the human ear hears, but in a way that is true. And then we will come forward and we'll stretch out our hands. And rather than being those who stand at the entrance of their tent and watch God speak to somebody else, longing for that day when he might come into my tent, notice what happens. We stretch out our hands, and he comes, and we receive him. And we don't stand outside a meeting tent anymore. The Lord is in our hearts, and there we can speak to him face to face. And as often as we celebrate this great sacrament, that is what happens. Enjoy that speaking today. Because as we said, what we do with our time echoes into eternity. And what better place to start sounding those holy and beautiful and glorious echoes than how we receive the Lord into our hearts. Amen.